0: You'll turn while they're leaving to First Timothy. Before they say a picture is worth a thousand words, and, and I think this video is worth a lot. It's a very quick video, and I'm going to ask, I'm going to, I'm going to show it real quickly. It's about 38 seconds, but I want you to listen real carefully, and I think it would help us see the applicability of what we're going to look at today in the Word of God. We are in a battle for truth, and uh, I want you to again. Be paying, pay close attention and listen to the words that are spoken today uh, in this video, and, and then I, I wanna I wanna jump into this sermon. Go ahead, play the video. I, I I mean I have to be careful when I watch that. That 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 type of stuff makes me so angry. I, I don't know if I, I don't know what wells up in you when you hear that garbage. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. But that that stuff makes me so angry. Because it's lies. That's the, that's the largest church in America. 40,000, 50,000 people come hear that every week. Hundreds of millions of dollars given every year to hear lies. The, the reality is this. It, it would, it, truth matters. If that were true, it'd be, let's, let's be honest, it would be nice if that were true it'd be nice if it was hey come to jesus repent of your sins and guess what your 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 bank accounts will be full your vats will be overflowing your health will you know what no more cancer no more spouses dying no more spouses leaving it'd be great if if god just became our heavenly genie that that's what she just basically said when you come to worship it's not i it just I almost laugh when she says, it's not about God. You know, that's one way to look at it. You mean the biblical way to look at it? You mean the, the honest way to look at it? The, the reality is this. If, if, if Victoria, that, that was Victoria and Joel Osteen, by the way, if, if you didn't recognize them. If, if she's right, then guess what? Suffering is completely meaningless and out of place. Church discipline, meaningless, out of place. Confronting people in their sin, meaningless, and out of place. The text we're going to look at today, meaningless, out of place. But if she's wrong, it begs the question, why, why does the church exist? What are we here for? If it's not about us, what's it about? If, if we're not here for us, then what are we here for? And, and Paul, writing to First Timothy, instructs Timothy how to bring order to the church at Ephesus. And, and the reality is, is the words that we read today are just as needed today as they were the day that, that, Timothy, that Paul penned this letter to Timothy. False doctrine, false teachers... Wolves in sheep clothing, just as prevalent today. There, there's just as many ch- there's churches today that are espousing false doctrine and feeding people, tickling their ears with what they want to hear rather than what they need to hear today, just as they were in Paul's day. There, there's no... If you, if you were to look at the Bible, if you actually open the Bible... There's no ambiguity or fuzziness regarding why we exist as believers. What we're called to do and be as believers. The the Bible is very clear that that what what was put forth there in that video is absolute ridiculous, absolute lies. If, If she believes for one second that we exist for our glory, that we are gathered here for our glory, that's crazy. We looked a couple of weeks ago at First Timothy three fifteen, really the heart of this heart of this letter, and it says, I'm, "In case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the support of truth." Paul Paul makes it very clear the church exists to support and to proclaim truth. Truth is the key issue. Verse 16, he goes on to to make that very clear, the basic core truth for which we exist. He says, by common confession, you see it, the common confession that unites us as a church, that unites believers, the common confession that we we put forth, that we are called to defend even at the cost of our lives, as we see all throughout the Bible, is this. He who is revealed in the flesh, was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels Proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. The church exists for the protection and the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is about Jesus Christ. That's who he's describing there. The common confession that the church holds to is this. Jesus is Lord. There is one way that a man or a woman can be forgiven of their sins, made right, declared righteous, made right before God, and it's through the blood of Jesus Christ. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The common confession of Christ, Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's the church. And we're tasked with defending and proclaiming this message at all cost. All cost. Truth is what's important, not our happiness. It's truth. The, the reality is this. I remember I, was, I, I could have showed video after video John Piper who says it a whole lot better than, than, than I could. He says, he, the reality is this. If you come to Jesus for what you can get, that's called idolatry. No, nobody, nobody comes to Jesus because, because of the things I have. That's idolatry. But, but if I'm willing to suffer for Jesus... If I'm willing to to lose my spouse and still worship and follow Jesus, people take notice of that. It's not about my happiness. This room is filled with people that that on on a fleshly level are not happy. Their circumstances would not dictate happiness. And yet, week after week after week, they show up and they worship. Why? Because Jesus is worthy. And there's an inheritance coming. It's not about our happiness. It's about the gospel. It's about loyalty and fidelity to the gospel and God who authored that gospel. And and what we'll see is the gospel is primary in all that we do. That is our mission, to proclaim and to protect the gospel. Right right here in verse 16, you see the humanity of Christ that he took on. Philippians 2, he had had this attitude that was also in Christ, that though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a a bondservant. Even to the point of death. Why, why, Why was Jesus Christ born? He was born to die for the penalty of sin. He came to die. The predetermined plan of God. Acts 2, 23. This man, Jesus, handed over by the predetermined plan of God, you nailed to a cross. He came to die. To absorb the wrath of God, do our sin. But we also see in this picture the, the universality, really, of Christ. That there's one way for all nations. One way for all men and women. It's not a different way over here and over here. It's one way. Look, proclaimed among the nations believed on in the world. There's one way. There's one gospel for all, and it's Christ. Our existence is revolve, revolves around that truth. We, we as a church must be convinced that Jesus Christ is the only way. We're not dealing with opinion. That is not, that's not an opinion. That's a, that's a truth. As sure as one plus one equals two, I'm telling you, Jesus Christ is the only way that a man or woman can be forgiven of their sins. It's not opinion. If you dig into the Word of God, the Word of God alone stands the test that every other false religion in this world will not stand up to. There's a reason this Word is at the center of all the persecution and all the trials, and the individuals who bear the name of the the, the God of this Word are the ones being persecuted. Why? Because it's truth. And Satan and all his minions and all of hell wants to persecute the truth. You bear the name Jesus... It's it's on. You you live a life for the word, Satan says, it's on. You're his enemy. We're not dealing with opinion here. It's John 17, your word is truth. Truth. Not, not, well, you know what, that's just my conviction and and the world out there, you can believe what you want to believe and I just believe this. That's not what we're talking about. Truth. You wouldn't say that if your kid came home from school and said, you know, my teacher told me that 3 plus 3 equals 8. Oh, you know what, honey, that's good for him. That's okay. You can You'd say, you're crazy. Give me another teacher. And yet when it comes to the gospel, it, it's, it's, it, there's not millions of gods out there that all, all rivers don't lead to the same ocean. That's not true. Hindus will tell you that. All rivers lead to the same ocean. Well, that's not what Jesus said. And and we exist as a church to protect the gospel that we'll see today, that we've been entrusted with. You have been entrusted with the gospel and tasked, believer, to defend that gospel with everything and to proclaim that gospel. That's our mission and one of the primary ways that we protect and we proclaim the gospel is through teaching inside and outside the church. It's through teaching. But the other way that we do that is is is. Is through how we live. And and we are to be engaged, you see on your handout, we are to be engaged at all times in conduct that is appropriate to life as a member of God's household. That's what Paul says very clearly. How you could conduct yourself in the household of God, the pillar and the support of truth. How we live matters. You will see very clearly as we study this letter, there is a sense of of what I would call oughtness. You, You ever say to your kid, you ought to know better? You ought to do, there is a very real sense as we read First Timothy of, of a sense of oughtness regarding what's said here. The, the, through the reception of the gospel by faith, God now makes a claim on you, believer. He has every right to make claim upon your life. L- listen to 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? Listen to verse 20. For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, because you've been bought with a price, glorify God in your body. The the reality is this I belong to God. I, I am here for His bidding, I live for His glory, not my happiness. There's coming a day, listen to me, where God is going to reconcile all the accounts and I'll I'll get. The reality is, is Joel Joel and Victoria, if they believe what they believe, guess what their best life is now. It's only going to get worse. The reality is this, my best life is later. There's a day coming where every tear is going to be wiped away. Every hurt is going to be be taken away. There'll be no no more all this junk that we deal with. No more cancer, no more death, no more dying. Guess what? We'll live for eternity in the presence of our King. Until then, guess what? Die to self. Until then, live for God's glory. God's going to make much of you one day, but it's going to be on the other side of eternity. And we exist for His glory. He has He has the authority and the right to make any and every claim upon our lives. Any and every claim. Look, look at look. Let's look at First Thessalonians, four, verse one and two. 1 Thessalonians, four, one and two. Listen to what it says. Finally, then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as you how ha- has as to how. You ought to walk and please God just as you actually do walk, and that you excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. We belong to God. Believer, you exist for His glory. He has every right to make a demand upon us, and we have every reason to obey. We exist for Him. What we're doing right now is primarily for him, for his glory. And and it's for truth's sake. I want to read, we're just going to look at verses 3 through 7 today because I want to make this point very clear, and I think Paul makes it very clear. Verses 3 through 7 of 1 Timothy chapter 1. He says, As I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on in Ephesus. Here's why Timothy was to remain on. "...so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines." Of all the things that Paul could say right out of the chute in a letter, primary reason for Timothy staying behind, primary responsibility of Timothy was to shut up the mouths of false teachers, was to make sure that truth was being taught, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. But the goal of our instruction, listen, in in contrast to the false teachers, is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. For some men, straying from these things, have turned aside to fruitless discussion, wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. Paul gets right down to the point here with Timothy as to why the church exists and what his responsibility is, and that's what I want us to see today. Uh, I'll try to do it as quickly as I can in, in three points. Like any good Southern Baptist chat, pastor, we have three points. They won't all start with the same letter, I don't think, but they'll be, they'll be three points nonetheless, although two of them do start with P. The church exists to protect the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church exists to protect the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 3 makes that very clear. Instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. Timothy's task was to protect truth. And that involved confronting false teachers. My job as the shepherd is to protect the sheep. I, I don't show those videos to necessarily call these individuals out as much as I do to warn you because their books are some of the hottest selling books in all America. Best sellers. And and all they do is tell you that it's all about you. Well, guess what? My flesh loves to hear it's all about me. It'd be great if this whole deal was about me. And it's not. And and Paul makes it very clear. Timothy, you have every right based upon the authority of God and the authority of His Word to, to instruct these false teachers to be quiet to stop teaching false doctrine. That's how important truth is. The first thing that Paul mentions with regards to the church is about truth. And ironically, it seems like in churches, the very first thing to go today in most of churches is the preaching of truth. To programs. And, 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 I mean, I I, I hear all the time secular music and all this other stuff because we need to attract, attract, attract. The church exists for the... To to edify the believer, to grow the believer. We scatter to evangelize. That what we do here is not about evangelism. What we do here is about equipping the saints, equipping the saved to go out and do the work of evangelism. My job, Ephesians 4, is to equip us to do the work of the ministry outside these walls. It is like an army. We're an army. We gather in the barracks to sharpen our knives, to get our to get our orders, to understand the mission, to to get the command from the commanding soldier. And then, guess what? You say amen, and we go out into the world and fight the battle. We need truth. The church exists for truth. And look, if you were to flip over to First Timothy six three, he says. If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing. He has a morbid interest and he goes on to say the same things. Look, the reality is this, this teaching ought to, ought to lead you to conform your life to godliness. And another false doctrine, that doctrine that she puts forth won't do that. It, it leads to selfishness. It leads to just what he says their conceitedness. Because it's all about me. The reality is most of, most of the issues that I deal with as pastor personally and, and, and as a ministry are because of selfishness. I, I have a strong conviction that it, 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 every single sin, every single sin that you and I ever commit, ever commit, will be traced back to selfishness. Selfishness. That's the root of it. That's why why we're to die to self. Live for Christ. That's why John 3.30 says, More of Christ, less of Chris. You don't need more of me. And and the the challenge in churches is is to to make sure that this is not about personal preference. It's not about style. It's not so we can come in here and deal with trivial things. We, We need Truth. Truth. You go to Galatians 1, 6 and 8, Paul says there are others preaching another gospel. And you know what he says? He says it's really not another gospel. Why? Because it's not good news. A gospel outside of Jesus Christ is not good news. He alone, Jesus Christ alone is the way to have my sins forgiven. You go to 1 Corinthians 5 where Paul was dealing with false truth. He says a little leaven leavens the whole lump. You don't deal with false teaching, guess what? It, it starts small, and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. That's why he says, nip it in the bud quick. Protect truth. But, but not, only, not only protect truth, listen, the r- reason why I show that video, hear me, for a biblical reason, you see it on your handout, the church and its gospel have opponents, and these opponents must be engaged. 1 Timothy 3.15, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, Always being ready to give a defense for the hope that you have, but do it with gentleness and respect. I, my response to that video publicly was about as calm as it could be in a respectful and, and gentle way. My, my heart, when I see that kind of stuff, it, 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 my blood gets boiling so fast, and it, it literally I, I just, it, it angers me to no end. The false teaching needs to be addressed. False false teaching needs to be addressed. The teachers need to be addressed. Christians living their lives that aren't in accordance with sound doctrine need to be addressed. I I texted an individual this this Monday and I said, and this is what my text, now I've confronted this individual, I've had many phone conversations, this is ongoing. I said, for the glory and the protection of the gospel of Jesus Christ and whose name you bear, for, for, the, for the testimony of Christians past and present, please repent and go home. Please, I beg you, go home. The, the reality is, 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 is how we live matters. Engaging false teachers matter. You, you go over to Hebrews Hebrews chapter 3, and it's a strong passage here. And, he, and this is a temptation, I think, every single one of us. He says, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm to the end. Sin wants to deceive every single one of us. Self wants to deceive every single one of us. And sound teaching and sound doctrine is what fights that. The the word here, Paul says, as I urged you. It's actually a military word and it means this. To give strict orders from a superior officer. The the word urge, it's not really strong enough. Commanding, commanding officer, when he gives orders, the soldiers don't debate it. They do it. They do it. And 32 times in the pastoral letters, First and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, Titus, 32 times Paul speaks about teaching doctrine and teaching truth. One of the main responsibilities of the church is about teaching truth. Our number one objective is truth, and to guard that truth. Verse 4, he says, Nor to pay attention to myths, he says, But furthering the administration of God. We have authority, but we have responsibility. Please hear me. The word, the word translated administration there literally means stewardship. If you were to go to Colossians 1... 25 He says, Of this church I was made a minister according to stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, so that I may fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. It was a, there's a stewardship. You, you've been entrusted with truth. 1 Corinthians 9 17, For if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward, but if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. The gospel is a treasure. That is to be trusted. I mean, that is to be guarded. I'm sorry. Obviously, it's to be trusted, but it's to be guarded. Stewardship is something that stewardship is something that if 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 Josh gave me something that was his and he entrusted it to me, I would guard that on his behalf. It's not mine, it doesn't belong to me. I'm guarding it on his behalf. That's the gospel. The idea, you see it on your handout, is that the gospel message is a treasure entrusted by God to men who will give an account one day on how they stewarded that. If you go down to 111, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which I have been entrusted. Entrusted. 2 Timothy 1.14, he says, Guard, through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, the treasure which has been entrusted to you. That's the gospel. Guard it. And as a steward, again, it's not mine. I don't change the message. I don't have the authority to change the message. Just like your mailman. Your mailman doesn't have the authority to dictate the mail. He simply delivers the mail. I'm simply the mailman. God has sent us letters. It's my job to deliver the mail. Like a waiter at a restaurant. The waiter, he doesn't cook the food. He doesn't prepare the food. He simply delivers the food. My my job is is like that of a waiter. I'm just delivering the food. I don't alter it. The waiter doesn't pick up the food and say, you know what, I I tasted this earlier. It needs a little salt. It needs a little pepper. You know what? I would do it this way. No, no, he simply brings it. Because the chef has already prepared it. We don't alter it. I mean, we're 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 under military orders here. In First Timothy 1, to, to guard the gospel at every turn, at every turn you see on your handout there's a temptation to be quiet and to, to, to neglect the gospel, to set it aside. Worse yet, you'll see on your handout there's a temptation to alter or tamper with the gospel so that it's more plat- palatable, so that we can get a better response. You know, water it down so everybody will end up praying the prayer and you can feel good about yourself. The reality is, is if, we don't, if we don't communicate the clear, God-given gospel, it would be like this. Suppose your doctor gave you drugs and he altered those drugs. You wouldn't take them. They they come in a sealed, that's why things, if you buy something at the store and that seal around the cap is broken, you know what you do? You take it back. God has sealed the gospel. It's perfect the way that it is. Don't tamper with it. Don't modify it. Believe it. And once you've believed it, you guard it. If you tamper with the gospel, it loses the reality that it's the gospel. You've changed the gospel. And to, to fail to to defend it, to fail to protect it, the the w- w- is is to to act in unbelief. It's 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 that would be commiserate in the military if 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 you just you just went a The military, If your commanding sole officer gave you an order and you just said, No, I'm not doing that you'd be court-martialed. Our commanding officer has given us an order. It's our responsibility. We've been given all the authority and it's our responsibility to follow through. Protect the gospel. We we exist as a church to protect the gospel, but, but secondly, we exist as a church to proclaim the gospel. And that ties in with protecting it. You proclaim it in order to protect it. Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16 make this very clear. My existence, even as a pastor, and he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by wind and waves and carried away by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, the craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth and love, we're to grow up in all aspects of Him. Proclaim the gospel. Paul makes it very clear in verses 6 and 7 here, a spiritually nourished life one that is nourished on the words of faith, i.e. the word of God, is what we need more than anything, so that we're not carried around, carried away, like Ephesians 4 said, by every wind, wave, and trickery doctrine. When, when we, this is 1 John 4, I think it says, test the spirits. 1 Corinthians says, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. When we hear things, when we hear people supposedly declaring gospel truth, we ought to be able to go back to the word of God and sift it through the word of God to know whether this is true or not. Don't just, don't just believe it because you heard it. And, and what we need more than anything is sound doctrine. The reality is, is if you go on to Second Timothy, one of the signs of the end times is just that, that they will no longer endure sound doctrine. And, and what these individuals here were doing, you look at verses 3 and 4, the content of their teaching, they would go back to the, to the Bible and biblical personalities and biblical genealogies. It would be based on real characters in the Old Testament, but it would be false teaching. It sounded good. They'd quote some verses. They'd quote some passages. But they were simply raising questions rather than answering them. And, and they were developing doctrines just based on tales. And they were mingling it with the Word. I mean, you can go down to verse 8 through 10. They, were, they would go back to the law. The problem is they were abusing the law, as we'll see, Lord willing, in two weeks. They were, they were what we would call today maybe fad teachers. They, they tickled people's ears. They told people what they wanted to hear. The battle is truth. Just like, just like in, your, in your kids' class. Our kids come home with homework and they love it when they can just breeze through homework in about five minutes. It's like World War III if, there's, if they actually have to try. Like you have to put forth effort to do your homework. Like the teacher is bad. The teacher didn't teach them. They're, no, no, weight is good. You go work out. You give me a four-pound dumbbell, I can sling that thing up and down like it's nobody business. You give me a 10-pound dumbbell, I can't get off the ground. But how do you build bigger muscles? By lifting up some weight. How do we grow spiritually? Sound doctrine. It's not by not by eating sugar daddies. It's not by eating Snickers. Sound doctrine. And, and yet, and yet, you know. What we need most in our churches is a thing that's becoming less and less popular, sound doctrine. And, and every generation, the battle is this, to become preoccupied with fads and ideas rather than sure, absolute truth of God's Word. Every, every month, it seems like people are attacking and, 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 and balking on biblical truth that for centuries has been held and highly regarded and nobody argued about it. And all of a sudden today, truths that we've held dear for thousands of years, all because culture says so. Now all of a sudden the Bible is wrong. The culture is wrong. It's called sin. It's called sin. Every single part of Paul's letters stress this. 2 Timothy 4, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and Jesus Christ, who is the judge of the living and the dead, by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from truth and turn aside to myths. But you, Timothy, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. You know what he says there? Fulfill your stewardship. Follow through on the orders you've been given, believer. This is about the Word. This is about about building our kids up in the Word so they can recognize lies, even as young children. That's why tonight I'll meet with the middle school boys and girls and I'm going to meet with some ladies who are going to start teaching the middle school ladies. They need sound doctrine. So that they're not led led astray by every wind and wave and trickery of doctrine. So so they can hear things, the culture can attack them and they can stand secure on the word of God and give a defense. And, And it all goes back to the word of God. Spiritual disciplines. We'll get to there, but in, in chapter four, maybe in maybe this year we'll get to chapter four. He says, Have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women, forgive me. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Look it, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Some of us in here, it's possible that we're more convicted about our bodily weight than our spiritual maturity. Some of us in here might care more about our physical fitness than our spiritual fitness. And and, and he's saying, why would you do that? that? That only lasts for a season. Godliness is good for all seasons. Not only has benefits in this life, but the age to come. I'm going to get a great body when I die. I'll be everything I wished I was now, then. But guess what? Thankfully, I'm not getting into heaven based on how much I can bench press or how tall or my muscle mass or anything like that. I'm getting into heaven because I've aligned myself with Jesus Christ. And my reward in heaven will not be based on my physical fitness. It will be based on how I stewarded my life as a believer. Please know, believer, how you steward your life here is going to impact there. It's a stewardship. And the primary essential, you see it on your handout for the church, is right theology through consistent Bible-based teaching teaching that's designed to leave you to a, lead you to an understanding of the word to be able to apply it uh, based on the leading of the Holy Spirit it's designed to send out look what we do here is designed to send missionaries out when we leave here at noon we go into our neighborhoods our schools our workplaces as missionaries to protect and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ You don't have to be on a trip next Saturday when 21 21 of us leave for the Dominican to go down to serve in the Dominican Republic at the the girls' orphanage. That's great. Don't hear me saying that. But you're a missionary every day, believer. You're on mission every day. And the the Word of God gives us that foundation and motivation and ability and power to share, to be that missionary. And, And you see it there on your handout. Sound Teaching promotes true spirituality which ultimately results in ministries that are biblically effective. I can busy you guys to death if I wanted to. We can do a lot of stuff, but it needs to be sound. And, And we'll share and defend that which we truly love and that which we truly understand. When we have a better grasp and understanding on the word, we'll defend that word. And I thought about it this week as uh, I, I was reading and, and Charles Spurgeon had a, had a quote and it got me thinking, anybody ever, anybody ever gone to Busch Gardens or wherever those parks and they had one of those caricatures drawn of themselves? You know what I'm talking about? So it's, it's you, but your features are distorted. Like they, they'll, make, they'll make features about, they'll pick on a feature and they'll make it distorted. So it's, it's, it's you... But but it's out of whack. It's out of balance. You know, it's, it's actual features, but they're out of balance. And, and Spurgeon commented on this. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said. Probably considered one of the the greatest preacher of all time. I'm reading a, a, a biography of him right now. By the way, one of the greatest preachers of all time battled depression his entire life. How's that for your best life now? One of the greatest preachers of all. Depression his whole life. A man's nose, he said this, a man's nose is a prominent feature in his face, but it's possible to make it so large that eyes and mouth and everything else are thrown into insignificance, and that the drawing is a caricature and not a portrait. So certain important doctrines of the gospel can be so proclaimed in excess as to throw the rest of truth into the shade, and preaching is no longer the gospel and its natural beauty, but it's a caricature of the truth. Hmm. I wonder if there's some ways that maybe our lives are maybe more caricatures of the gospel and not really portraits of the gospel. I don't know of anybody who hangs a caricature of their family in their house, but I know a lot of people have portraits of their family. People want to see what we look like. People need to see the gospel, not a caricature of the gospel. We don't have the authority, we don't have the right to emphasize or de-emphasize certain doctrines. We don't have the right to, to, to adulterate the gospel and change it. To, to Well, I like to think of God as love. Well, guess what? He's also wrath. Well, I like to think that God just loves everybody. Well, Psalm 5 says he hates those who do injustice. See, that's a caricature of God, caricature of the gospel. We're, we're to be portraits of the gospel. And you see that our teaching and lives and ministries are to be portraits of the gospel, not caricatures. The gospel is to remain central of all we do. We can't get sidetracked with hobby horses. That's why I love teaching through books of the Bible. It forces me to deal with all the issues that, they, that, that the author teaches. It's not my hobby horse. It's not something I want. Look, verse 5 comes after verse 6. I'm not picking on you. No, nothing happened. I didn't get a whole bunch of emails or anything like that. No, no, it, 5 comes after 6. Or 6 comes after 5. We're to be Portraits. We're to protect the gospel. We're to proclaim the gospel. And, and the goal of all of our teaching, the goal of all of, all of everything we do, you see that point three. The motivation behind all of this is love. It's love. Genuine love for God and others is the goal of the Christian life. Please hear that. It's not your happiness. It's love. Matthew 22, 36, and 37. What's the greatest and foremost commandment? Love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love. The the goal of everything that we do is love. If, if If your doctrine and your theology and your Bible study and all the stuff you do, if it does not create in you a love for God and a love for others, something is wrong. You're not as mature as you think you are. The goal is love. Otherwise, you're a caricature. You're not a portrait. All, 90% of, if not 100% of the stuff that we deal with is rooted in a lack of love. I think about the stuff that we fight over and all the division that exists in a church. Paul says if in 1 Corinthians 8, 13, if meat causes my brother to stumble, you know what, I'll never eat meat again. Why? Because I love the gospel more than I love meat. There's lots of things in our world today that 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 cause division and stumbling and all that stuff. you know what we do we tell the other person to grow up. You know what Paul said out of love I'll give it up. I'll give it up Why because he loved the Lord and he loved others Paul, Paul's going to in in chapter verses eight through ten he's going he's going to really recount the first the, the ten commandments. The reality is this: a love, a love for God and a love for others. Cures the Ten Commandments. Adultery, stealing, lying, false witness, all those things, you know what, they're violations of love. Idolatry, using the Lord's name in vain, it's a violation of love. If if you were to go to 1 John chapter 4, he he gives a very clear picture. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Verse 8, chapter 4, 1 John. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and He sent His Son to be our propitiation. That word means payment for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought. Remember I said oughtness? You go back to the Gospel. If you're willing to receive that love, you ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. That's John 13 34 and 35. He says, The badge, this is how the world would know that you're my disciples. You love one another. The badge of a Christian, the identification of a Christian is love. God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. That means carried to completion. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Listen to this. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love and the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Love. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because he, as He is, so we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because He first loved us. If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. I didn't make that up. That's verse 20. If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Oughtness. The reality is what what we see all throughout the scripture is this. True discipleship leads to a love of God and others. A love of God and others. And the reason that we struggle to share the gospel, the reason we struggle to confront sin, you'll see it on your handout, the reason that we live, struggle to live in faith more and, and that we fight over trivial issues like food and drink, the issue is love primarily. It's love. It, it's it's, it's a, a love of self, not others. The issue with the false teachers, it's the same thing. Listen, listen to this. How false teachers, how they violate the the very biblical principle we're putting forth here. Romans 16, 17. This is why false teachers do what they do. Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned, and turn away from them. Listen to verse 18. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Jesus Christ... But of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. You know who false teachers are in it for? Themselves. You know know who their God is? It's their appetite. It's their appetite. False teachers are not in it for you, they're not in it for the gospel, they're in it for themselves. Listen to John Piper's quote, and I'll try to close here. John Piper's probably one of my favorites of all, and and he, he says things marvelously that I can't. Listen to what he says. Until God has become your treasure, until your own sin has become the thing you hate most, until the Word of God is your supreme authority, that you feel to be more precious than gold, sweeter than honey, until the gospel of Christ's death in your place is the most precious news in the world to you, until you have learned to deny yourself short-term pleasures for the sake of long-term joy and holiness, until you have grown to love the Holy Spirit and love for His fruit more than man's praise, until you count everything as lost compared to the supreme value of knowing Christ, your attitude, this is the result, until you come to there, here's going to be your attitude, your attitude towards your clothing and your appearance will be controlled by forces that do not honor Christ. It's like in Matthew 13. It's like the man who found a treasure hidden in a field. And you know what he did? He went and sold everything else to buy that field. We found our hope. We, we found our Peace. we don't need to look any further and I I will say this I thought about this this week I'm I'm reading a book called who moved my pulpit and uh one of our one of our members gave me that and that always I'm a people pleaser and I started thinking okay what I do wrong she gave me a book what I do wrong whenever somebody calls Karen and I over to have dinner my first thing to Karen is they're gone it's just the world I live in forgive me I'm working on that God confidence but I'm grateful to pastor a church that we can do things that we feel like are in accordance with the gospel and and it doesn't cause division. And yet, the caution for every single one of us is this. Every single one of us have a tendency to see the gospel as simply something that lost people get saved by and not something that Christians live by. The gospel is not something that just lost people get saved by. It's what we as believers live by. We cling to it. And every single one of us could stand to plumb the depths of the gospel more, to understand who we are in Christ more, to understand what it truly means to be a child of God more, to understand really what it means to have been adopted by God. We could spend the rest of our lives plumbing the depths of the gospel, and I guarantee you we still would probably not understand the love of God. The reality is this, 1 John 2, 1, he says, See how great a love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God. The the reality is that, that, see how great a love, that, that word in the Greek literally is foreign. See what type of foreign love, foreign love that God has shown upon us. That's why Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Every single one of us could spend the rest of our lives trying to figure out and apply the gospel to every single aspect of our lives. And and the challenge is this, guys. Every single week, this week it happened twice. It seems like I get a call regarding a believer that's just wandered away from the faith. Just rampant, unrepentant sin. People who would have professed knowledge of the Word. Sometimes it's people that you've sat by. Sometimes not. Sometimes I, I get calls from other churches. And I realize, listen, I'm a people pleaser. I realize in my heart, I know this. That 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 I probably preach too long. That that sometimes maybe I don't hear me. I haven't got emails about this. This is just stuff in my own heart that maybe I come across angry. Maybe 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 you know. Christmas Eve or New Year's Eve or whatever, the messages aren't the most in, you know, go home, jolly jolly green giant type of stuff. But hear me, I will stand. Hebrews thirteen seventeen says, one day I'm going to give a stand and give an account for how I shepherded you guys. He says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. And I don't want any of us falling away. I don't want anyone in here to miss out on the hope that God has in store for us in the gospel. I don't want to hear about any of our kids that have been blown around by every wind and wave and trickery of doctrine or caught up in junk that they ought not be. I don't want to hear about you doing the same. Every, every single one of us are one step away from stupid. Every single one of us. Every single one of us are open to being deceived. And we need the word of God. And, I, and I'm convinced the only way to try to prevent that, the best way I know how is through sound teaching. It's through sound doctrine by trying to help us to understand what we have in the gospel to the responsibility but the authority that we have is, as children of god and, and i don't want to leave you immature i, I want to hear at the end of my days i want to hear well done good and faithful servant and i don't want the sheep that god has entrusted to me wandering away from the flock I don't want any of us caught up, as we saw in Hebrews 3, by sin's deceitfulness. 1 Timothy 4, 2, seared conscience. I I say I'm grateful for you as a church to to endure sound doctrine. To be patient as I work these things out and as I learn to pastor you. But I want us to see the beauty and the glory and the majesty of the one true God and and Jesus Christ whom He sent. I want to see us live that out and protect it and proclaim it at all cost and, and be a people that's willing to do that at all cost.